Hello and welcome to That Band Life. I'm Jeff Young, a teacher from Carmel, Indiana. And I'm Bobby Lambert, director of bands at Wando High School in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. That Band Life, a podcast about making our careers as music educators more fulfilling so we can be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. Uh, this week, we have the pleasure of talking with Dr. Robert Ambrose, director of bands at Georgia State University and leader of several different initiatives for uh, the band world. So really excited to get to talk with him. Before we begin, I want to tell you about the Dynamic Marching Shop. This podcast is coming to you ad-free, and one way you can support us is by visiting our website, dynamicmarching.com, and sign up for some or all of our awesome courses and instructional videos. You can also purchase products through our store at some of the most discounted prices on the web, on things like shoes, rifles, podiums, megavoxes, and flagpoles. I know that many times you continue to order your products from the same people every year, but if you look at our prices, you might change your mind. We even offer deeper discounts on large orders. Please give us a chance to win your business. Uh, I'm really excited. Bobby, tell us a little bit about our guest today. So I got to meet uh, Dr. Ambrose uh, about, gosh, I guess it's been maybe four years ago. We were both judging in Mason, Ohio, and had the, 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 the true fortune to sit next to each other at dinner. And we realized we knew a lot of the same people. We just had never met face-to-face and laughed a lot. And so that's how I know, you know, I'm around a lot of really talented people, but I love being around really talented people who are also great people. And I I knew pretty quickly that that's exactly who I'd come across with this. If you've never seen uh, Dr. Ambrose do anything, I mean, he is just kind of the jack of all trades. He does arranging, composing, conducting. Uh, And then to kind of throw that all together, he also plays guitar. If you've ever seen him do, uh, I've seen an honor band recording of him playing. uh, And then I've seen, you know, he's got a rock band. When you have, I've got, you know, his rock band plays in your bio, you suddenly, your cool points just shot up an (laughs) awful, an awful lot. I think when you said he played guitar, everyone was just picturing a classical uh, six strings. Oh, oh no, no. And I'm, and I have no idea. Do you do that as well? Robert? I don't. <laughs> so I, I thought, it was, I thought it was a bass player. Yeah, like a like straight up uh, jazz ensembles and combos and all those things. Just, you know, and then I saw all of the international stuff that you've done, especially the stuff that you've done in Finland and the, the connection that you have there. So we have so much to talk about and not the least of which will be the Creative Repertoire Initiative that he you know helped to found and the North American Band Survey. So welcome, Robert. Hope you're doing well in Atlanta. Hope everything's going well there. I just kind of wanted to start with how are you the director of bands at Georgia State University based on the diverse background that you gave us? How, how did that road lead you to there? To Georgia State. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got really lucky. I got I got the gig right out of graduate school and uh, I'm in year 20. Uh, it's just a, like, you know, a really good job that I'm blessed to have in a fabulous city. Um, I, uh, I finished my doctorate at Northwestern and, um, sometime in maybe February or March of my last year, I, I got the job at Georgia state and, uh, it's grown into a, a really fantastic position with great colleagues. I mean, when I showed up and for the first, I guess, eight years, I was director of band it was me in one band and then <laughs> um, yeah, director of band and then football happened and uh, all kinds of wonderful things happened. Suddenly there are three full-time band directors and a full-time operations manager and a half-time assistant operations manager. And 
funding and graduate assistantships and um, wonderful colleagues. And so it's uh, it's grown into into quite a position and, and one that I'm, I'm quite proud to be part of. Um, it's a it's a wonderful team of uh, band directors and staff there and graduate students. And uh, we work hard and we have a lot of fun. Well, yeah, I, I had no idea that the music department at Georgia State was as big as uh, you were telling us about a little bit before. So it seems like over your 20 years, you've seen a pretty large transformation in that school and its approach to music education. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, to, honestly, the numbers, I don't know that have grown that much. We, we're, we're typically between four and 500 majors, um, and, and we're still around that. But uh, the quality of the university has really skyrocketed. Uh, it's a research one university. Uh, it merged. We say merged. It, 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 it really I guess it was a merger, but we sort of overtook uh, Perimeter College, which had a very low, it was a two-year school with a very low graduation rate, and Georgia State uh, is is known for graduating people. Um, so we're now uh, 53,000 students, one of the largest universities wow. in the country, and the largest in Georgia by a lot. Um, so uh, the, the university has transformed. Our, our president and, and provost and a gentleman by the name of Tim Rennick uh, have really uh, take, taken taken us to a new level, and the School of Music uh, has enjoyed the, the fruits of that as well. Um, I think the quality continues to get better, and um, and uh, it's sort of firing on all cylinders right now. So, and the weather is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a northerner, but I've gotten used to this now after 20 years down here. Well, and you can walk across the bridge to the varsity, right? I mean, that's <laughs> those, those people who are in Atlanta. I mean, that's the that's that's a draw right there. You know, we've got these this great school. We can do all this, but the varsity is right there. We can throw a rock at it. So that's pretty impressive. I got to tell you, um, I, I know one of the things that you're passionate about. You know, I've seen you. I've seen you teach. I've seen you work with students, and it's always exciting, I think is the word that I would use. Every time I've seen even just some YouTube clips of you working with a band, you don't stay still very much. And I have mm. a feeling that that goes in your professional world as well. You don't, you're not satisfied with, well, this is what it is and here we go. And I, it seems like that's where the creative repertoire initiative, I first heard you talking about this with some podcasts that you did during the Corona times. Uh, and some of them are just, well, the ones that I've listened to are just fantastic. Tell us about the creative repertoire initiative that you've helped start. Sure, I'm happy to. So this um, this grew out of uh, a single conversation between Alan McMurray, uh, director of bands emeritus at the University of Colorado, and Frank DeKelly, uh, dear friends of one another. And uh, Alan had been asked, uh, this must be February, probably of this, this year, February 2020, Alan was asked to write an article for the Southern... Boy, I won't get this right, but the Southern California Band Directors Association, perhaps, and uh, just SCSBOA. I, I think it was that organization. Yeah, the the, the really big one uh, there. That sounds right. Um, and anyway, uh, as part of this, he was pondering the future of band, and uh, he called Frank and said, "Hey, Frank, you know, band directors are they're going to be in trouble in the fall." You know, they, there may not be band or if there is band, they may have five or six kids in the room at a time and it may be different kids every week. And Frank, what are you going to do to solve this? I mean, it was that direct with Frank. 
And so he told me that he had that conversation with Frank and he said, uh, you know, I I kind of challenged him with this and I haven't heard back in a couple of days, but uh, I I, I think I'm really going to kind of keep his feet to the fire on this. So then Alan and I talked maybe a couple of days after that. And he said, so Frank's thinking about uh, just arranging some of his own music for flexible ensemble. And I said, well, that's that would that would be amazing. But he's just one guy and there's a lot of music out there and there's a lot there's a lot of band programs that are going to need music. And uh, Alan said, well, let's see what he does. And I said, no, let's not. Alan, let's let's like blow this up right now. Like the time is now we've got to do this. Um, So Alan and I called Frank together and said, let's get some people on board that are like minded, that are also interested in helping. And uh, let's see if we can make this thing happen. So what we did is just started calling our friends. We came up with a list um, of, uh, there were at that time, I guess, 11 other composers, no 10. And uh, we called one of us, called each one of them and everybody said yes, without hesitation. Wow. They didn't actually even really know what they were saying yes for because we weren't, we didn't really know what we were yet. We certainly didn't have a name. We knew we wanted to help band directors. That's all we knew. Um, so we called Brian Balmages, Steve Bryant, Mike Doherty, Julie Giroux, Jen Jolly, John Mackey, Pete Meekin, Alex Shapiro, Omar Thomas, and Eric Whitaker. And well, everybody said got, yes. If you could have gotten some quality composers to too, that would <laughs> have been really hacks. nice. Yeah. Well, that was part of it. You know, <laughs> there are friends, but, but, but there's some, you know, there's some power in that, in that yeah, group absolutely. of names there. And, and that we felt was going to be important because we wanted this to be something that was going to be helpful to people. And, you know, let's face it, if there's some, some names in there, that's going to certainly make it better. So, right. So we got the group together. Again, we didn't we didn't have a name. We didn't really know what we wanted to be. We just knew we wanted to help. So we started having these Zoom meetings um, and uh, saying, what, what is it we want to do? And we had a bunch of them in February and March. And and uh, we, we decided on the name after some amount of time. And uh, we had a, a dear friend named Kaylee Bramlett, who I work with at Georgia State, who agreed to do any and all social media, logo, marketing, branding for free. She just said, I'm just happy to help. You don't have to pay me a penny. Um, so she, we had her on board to help with that end of it. And what we came to was, okay, we want to we wanna actually do two things. We want to help band directors and we want to create a body of repertoire. But there's only so much repertoire that this group of people can create. So equally important, we want to amplify the voices of other composers who want to do the same thing that we do. We want to help them have a platform. We were acutely aware that this group of composers, I leave myself out of that, I'm I'm an arranger, I don't compose, but this group of composers could have I don't want to say cornered the market, that sounds sinister, but they could have flexed so much muscle that uh, that they were kind of the the only thing happening. And we wanted to be absolutely certain that that wouldn't be the case. So we accomplished that in a few ways. Number one, we created a website, but it was really bare bones and very simplistic. And there was no place on that website where you can buy these composers music. We just said, we're just not going to do that. We're not going to sell music. We're not going to be a clearinghouse. We're not going to market the music. We're just going to create a website so people have a place to go to see what CRI is. 
But what I'm most proud of on that website is we created a page of resources for composers. So composers can go and they can see an article from Frank DeKelly on how to create an adaptable piece or an article from uh, Steve Bryan on using Ableton or an article from Julie, uh, Julie Giroux about the Japanese flex band model or Alex Shapiro about electroacoustic uh, pieces. So that was the first source that we created for composers. Go to our website. There's resources there for you. The second thing we created was a Facebook group and the Facebook group, we are, we're very, um, I don't want to say draconian, that's not the right word, but we're very, we're very careful to make sure that the posts that happen in that group are posts about adaptable music. It's not a place to exchange ideas. It's not, uh, it's not a, a conversation place. It's a place for composers to post their music and for directors to go there and learn about their music. So we have a Facebook group called Creative Repertoire Initiative where composers can post clips of their music, uh, links to their website, and it has it blew up. I mean, it has over 5,000 members, uh, primarily composers and directors, and it's a place for them to, composers to promote music and directors to learn about it. Then uh, we... Uh, created an initiative with the good folks at the Wind Repertory Project, Repertory Project, windrep.org. Um, they actually contacted us. We had been looking for a, a database of all the adaptable music that was coming in in droves. And they contacted us right at a time when we were saying, you know, who's going to put all this place, all of this in a database? So Dave Strickler and Nick Pilatos called and said, hey, we want to be that, that entity. So they uh, offer to not only house sort of the database for adaptable music, but to do something special for us. Uh, I don't know if you spent much time on their website, winrep.org, but everything is uh, categorized by title of the piece, which is not as robust as we would have liked. I mean, if you, if you go to S, you come with solemn place, not a composer by the last name of S. So we said, can you create a special section for us uh, not meaning the CRI composers, but anybody who's writing adaptable music where the music will be uh, categorized by composer's last name. And they agreed to do that. So they have an adaptable section by composer last name, and then they have a, a flex adaptable section in its normal way, which is sorted by, um, by uh, title of the piece. And because it's two separate databases kind of in the same system, they're not completely synced up or up to date. And uh, and the one that's by title actually has more titles. And Dave will probably, if he hears this, he'll be upset because I'm sure the number's much higher now. But a few weeks ago, it was like 720 titles of wow. adaptable wow. music. Um, I, I'm sure it's beyond that now uh, because people are just writing like crazy. Uh, but uh, so so we have that as a place, kind of a one stop shop for directors to go and learn about repertoire uh, in the adaptable uh, realm. And we use the term adaptable kind of as an umbrella term. You know, the, the idea of flex band has been around forever, but adaptable music is more than flex. You know, we have. Mm -hmm what you think of a flex music where there's four or five or six or seven parts, but there has to be somebody from each one of those parts in order to have a realized performance of the piece with everything being covered. But then Frank and I were talking about what he and I ended up naming full flex, which is anybody can play any part. 
So um, there's quite a bit of full flex music where there's just part one, part two, part three, part four. And if on one day you have three tubas and a piccolo and you want the piccolo to play the bass line up two octaves, then they'll play the bass line and the tuba can play the melody. Anybody can play any line. So there's flex music, there's awesome. full flex music, there's cellular module music, which a lot of those pieces have been written, uh, cell-based pieces, we can talk more about that if it's interesting, and then sort of improvisatory pieces that use some amount of improvisation. So Adaptable at this point has these four subheadings, flex, full flex, uh, cellular modular, and improvisatory. And eventually there'll probably be more as people start writing different things. And are these pe- are these pieces purchased at a you know a typical publisher and then and then the flex version of it is separate from that and available or how does that work? Yeah, um, so each of the CRI composers are just selling them either through their website or if they're published uh, uh, through their publisher or through music retailers. Um, I, I think I can say this with certainty that the CRI composers have all decided we're not going to mess with shipping or printing. Everything's going to be PDFs and we're just going to trust people because mm-hmm. what they need right now is they need quick answers and they need stuff fast and they don't need to be dealing with sheet music. So they all just did it through PDF. Um, and uh, how other composers are doing, it seems to be very much the same. I, I can say like, uh, for example, Murphy Music Press is doing a lot with this, C. Allen, uh, a number of other publishers as well. So they'll have adaptable or flex sections in their websites. And then individual composers have flex sections. Like if you go to Frank Tichelli's website, there's a whole section for adaptable music and you click on it. And I think he has seven or eight titles and uh, you purchase it the same way. They're typically less than the, um, than the full band version of the piece. Um, Not always, but uh, with the CRI composers, I can say with a high degree of certainty, virtually everything is less than a full band piece. Um, They really were keeping in mind that, hey, people might not have budgets or they might have very small budgets. And uh, we just wanted to get music into people's hands. We didn't want there to be barriers, either financial barriers or printing barriers uh, or anything like that. Isn't it amazing when you think back to that time when you know, things were just starting to shut down restaurants and bars. People were trapped inside. There was an amazing upswell of creativity and giving and thinking outside the box. Uh, it definitely waned over the summer. I think people just kind of got back to, you know, just doing their thing, but everybody was on webinars and everybody was learning and everybody was trying out new things. And what a cool thing that you guys uh, put together during that that time of creativity and thinking outside the box. Well, thanks for saying that. I mean, we're quite proud of it. I mean, in reality, it's nothing new. Flex music has been around for a long time, but, but, but I think the thing that I enjoy, one of the things I enjoy the most is the fact that the pandemic sort of was the catalyst for this, but there have been small bands all over the world that have needed this music forever <laughs> and yeah. have sort of been ignored, you know, maybe that's an unfair statement to say ignored, but, but, but those bands are now reaping the benefits of this by finally having repertoire that they can do. And if they only have 12 in their band, or if they have a, a changing instrumentation or an uncertain instrumentation, you know, I, I work a lot in Finland as, as Bobby mentioned earlier. And, um, you know, a lot of the bands in Finland are small and don't have full instrumentation. And I've, I've been chatting with 
friends over there like, guys, you gotta, you gotta get on this. I mean, <laughs> this is exactly what your smaller bands over there need. And there are a lot of big bands too, but the small ones could really benefit from this type of music. And one of my friends, Ilari Hukvila, who's a really fine Finnish composer, did a few adaptable pieces and, and they're selling because they need them, not because of COVID, because they just need them, period. What, one of the things that I, I was thinking about this as you were talking about, like uh, uh, right now, if you're listening to this podcast, you, you know COVID and you understand some of the need and the catalyst, like you said, for this. But I love it that hopefully people will listen to this years down the road and say, well, you know, my band only has 15 kids in it, but I would love to play something by Jennifer Jolly. I'd love to play some Frank to Kelly. I'd love to play Alex Shapiro. And this is the introduction to that. I, I grew up in a band of about 38 wind players. Right. And we, we were so limited. We had no French horns, no double reeds. And so you're, you're looking at grade three at best. And there were players that probably could play above that, but because of the instrumentation, that wasn't possible. This opens a whole lot of doors for students that would have been underserved for that. Yeah, it sure does. And, you know, I, one possible reason for that, I, I hope that my, my CRI colleagues don't mind me saying this, but it, it, it was interesting in these first few meetings to, to listen to, to them talk about how difficult it is to write this music. <laughs> and some of them just said, you know, I'm not going to try to rearrange anything. I'm just going to write a new piece like John did that. And uh, and Pete Meekin, they were like, you know, I, I don't I don't know that I have it in me to rearrange because my music is so based in color and you essentially give up the concept of color because you have no idea who's going to be playing the melody. Right. <laughs> it could be anybody. Right. As Julie Drew said, it could be a sock drum. I remember her saying that in one of the, <laughs> if you have three tubas in a sock drum, she said something like that, but, but, but it's true. So if your if your music is based a lot in color, you just give that up completely. John has since arranged a couple of things. And, and so have other people. I just finished an arrangement of night on fire for him for flex band, four part um, flex band, but, but it took us a long time to find the right piece to arrange. So it's not easy. Uh, I guess it's easy to do it poorly, but to make it really yeah. still sound like the piece takes extraordinary craft. And to Kelly and Balmage is kind of, those guys were like right out in front. They do, they're like, we had a meeting and they said, yeah, I think I'm going to do something. And in the next meeting, they're like, yeah, we each have three or four pieces like a week later. They're just like wow. doing it. Like Frank kind of cracked the code for himself and figured it out and then just went. And he and Brian were kind of the early adopters. They were the ones really leading the charge at the beginning. And I think they probably have the most adaptable pieces out of the CRI composers. Maybe Julie, um, who just has such tremendous craft and a seemingly endless output of ideas. Uh, I think Julie may have that many as well now, too. But 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 they really were sort of struggling at the beginning. Like, how are we going to do this, guys? How do, how do we take our music and make it work for four people? You know, uh, Omar Thomas said, I think it was in a meeting, but it might have been in a podcast I did with him later. It's like someone telling you to make a masterpiece with three crayons. Right. They hand yeah. you blue, yellow, and red and said, go now make something great. You know, it's, it's really difficult. Or recreate but, the Mona Lisa with just yeah, these three. Yeah, exactly. But I think what, what's good about this is as, as we have more quality composers writing more quality compositions, one of the things that, that I think can get overlooked 
is the access that certain groups may have to being able to approach those pieces. And while I think we all can applaud that the, the level and the quality I think is, is better in the pre in this past five years than maybe the previous five years. I think that we're, we're in a, a time of some variation and some really quality for, for every Georgia state. There is that perimeter college out there that still has people and we want them to be lifelong musicians and consumers of music. And the more that they can reach the Alex Shapiro's, the Omar Thomas's, the more that they can be exposed to those things, the better. And so I think this really opens up a lot of doors, not just for COVID times, but for the future in general. Yeah, it's, it, I'm glad you said that. That CBDNA is no different than uh, than the public school world. Uh, the small bands comprise the majority of CBDNA's membership, right? Um, and and they needed things, and and many are very happy with with what's been happening. Uh, you know, COVID is a horrible thing, but this is perhaps one silver lining that's come from that. So, right. Right. Well, you know, I, I wanted to go on to another one of your projects that that I'm really very interested in. And I've I've heard it kind of being passed around and seen a couple of emails, but I'm, I'm really interested in the why and the how of the North American Band Survey. Uh, this seems like a pretty massive project. You know, first, what is it and, and why did you decide to to invest in this? Well, uh, I decided to invest in it because I felt that we needed it as a profession and it seemed like the right thing to do. Um, and, uh, my work, I was the lucky enough to be asked to chair the CBDNA COVID-19 response committee and, um, put together a committee of some of the best minds in our profession to, to create a response paper for how we're going to handle this thing, uh, back in February and we, in March, and we got that, that paper out and it seemed to be very, very helpful to lots of people. I mean, I had friends in Europe saying I'm using this with my administration, you know, in Belgium and all over the, the world, people were taking this paper that we wrote and using it. So it seemed like there was a need for help and I had seen attempts at creating kind of a central repository of curricular ideas. For example, I kept seeing on the band director's Facebook group that has what, Bobby, 28,000 members, oh, some it's huge, huge number. It's enormous, yes. Yeah, some, some unbelievable number. And I see people say, hey, uh, I'm just gonna start this document. Everyone, please put your curricular ideas here. And 15 or 20 people would do it, and then two days later it would disappear off the newsfeed, and that would be it. Right. Um, so. I saw the need for it. I felt like I had the connections to people through my work with the, the COVID-19 committee. I, I mean, I was, there was a time, man, it, I, I was on the phone all day, every day talking about COVID and band to people. It, it, and I was happy to do that. It was, it was intense for months and months. Just when you're the, you're the chair of that committee and no one knows what's going on, you get a lot of phone calls and a lot of text messages and a lot of emails. So, um, did you ever get any calls from vice president Pence? (laughs) I did not. No, 
band directors only, uh, typically, <laughs> and and friends uh, saying, "Look, I know you're the chair. What what do you know that that I don't know?" And and I was happy to answer those calls. I mean, my poor wife. It was like I, I don't think I had dinner with my family for a month. It was, you know, that was the witching hour at five or six o'clock. It was guaranteed someone was going to call or text, and I was I was happy to be in that role and happy to be helping. And you know, it was. It was a committee effort, but when you're the chair, you're, you know, you kind of are seen as the head of the thing for better or worse. So I knew I had the connections to get this initiative done and I saw the need for it. And simultaneously this summer, this was all happening like in July, June or July, Julie Giroux called and said, hey, I'm writing all this flex music, but I have no idea what's going to happen in the band world in the fall. Does anyone know? And I said, no, Julie, but I'm thinking about this idea of getting a central repository together. And she said, yeah, that would really be helpful to composers. And I hadn't really even thought about it in those terms. I just wanted to help band directors, but I guess composers would want it too, right? They, If they have an idea of what band programs are going to look like in the fall, then they could better write for those people. So anyway, fast forward, uh, I called Mark Speed and I said, Mark, um, you know, the CBDNA COVID-19 committee seems to be winding down. Uh, I, I have a project that I think will be really helpful. What are your thoughts? And he said, this is great. And I said, I want to involve NBA, ABA, and CBDNA. I think it would be a powerful statement for those three professional band organizations. For anyone who's listening that doesn't, ABA is the American Band Masters Association. NBA is the National Band Association. And CBDNA is the College Band Directors National Association. But I said it would be really, really powerful to get those organizations together to, to do this. And uh, there'd be a lot of kind of power behind it. So I set up meetings with uh, Rebecca Phillips, who's president of NBA, Jake Gephardt, president of ABA. They were all in. They talked to their boards. Everybody was in. Then I called James Weaver at the National Federation of State High School Associations, NFHS, and said, James, this is what we want to do. But honestly, we have no idea how to do this. And you guys live in this data world. Do you, are, are you interested? And he said, absolutely. So then we created a committee of uh, two or three members of each of those organizations, NFHS, CBDNA, ABA, and NBA. And we got together and I said, okay, friends, this is what we need to do. We need to write a survey instrument. We need to get it out into the public and then we need to vet the data afterwards and not change or edit anything, but we need to read every response, every word to make sure that there's no profanity or hateful language or anything we wouldn't want out there. And I think when that's done, NFHS will do the rest. So that's exactly what we did. We met several times. We created the survey instrument. We got it so that it could be completed in under five minutes. I think we launched it in early September. I don't remember the exact date. It was sometime just after Labor Day. Uh, we, we sent it out everywhere we possibly could many, many times. And I think 2,300 people answered it, a huge number of people. Wow. And NFHS is in the process of uh, working to get that data in a way that's digestible. I mean, it's such an enormous data dump, but they, they found a very good way to do this. So what we're planning to release, and the NFHS people are in charge of it, but they've promised me it'll be this Thursday. So that would be November 1, 2, 3, is that the 5th or 6th, um, that, that they will release uh, the data. 
uh, and have some charts to accompany. And it will be in a form uh, where you can sort where you can pull out uh, things that are important for you. For example, if you say, all right, I'm teaching in Oregon. I want to see band programs in Oregon with 50 to 100 in the band program in a public school and where they're teaching in a hybrid system. You can search just for that. Um, and um, or you can you can search in any other number of ways. So. I think it's going to be really powerful when it comes out and it's going to put into the hands of directors lots of data about what's going on all over the continent. Canada, too. I, I wanted it was important to me that this wasn't the American band survey. It was the North American band survey. Um, so we sent it out widely uh, throughout Canada as well. So when that comes out, uh, people will have the uh, the ability to search uh, and and get the data in a way that's meaningful for them, and hopefully some really great curricular ideas, and hopefully uh, some some powerful data if they need to show it to their directors to see how much is actually uh, is is still going on. It, it, it so this it was, was more than just a typical survey of yes or no or A B C and D. This was this more like you can upload um, resources or how, how did that work? Yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely more powerful um, than that. It, uh, can we break just for a second and I'll pull it up. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hang on. Let me, let me just link to it. It's been a little while since I've actually even looked at it. Uh, hang on just a second. Sorry, guys. No, it's okay. It's all right. Okay, I'm in. Uh, tell me where I should pick up. Um, I just start talking. Yeah, I think I think so. That'll be just fine. Okay, so the survey is quite robust. Um, it, I, I won't go through every category, but basically, it, it says, you know, what state, province, territory, uh, or country are you in? What is your role? For example, are you a band director, assistant band director, a music administrator? Um, how many students are in your program? What's your current rehearsal format? Are you in person? Are you hybrid? Are you fully remote? Are you discontinued? Uh, more than one of those. Select the ensembles that you teach. And then if you select, for example, marching band, a series of questions comes up about that. If you selected beginning band, a whole bunch of questions about beginning band came up because we thought it was really important <laughs> to get the data into the hands of beginning band directors because, mm -hmm. man, we were just thinking of the impact if we lose an entire year of beginning band students. I mean, how dreadful would that be, you know? <laughs> So we, we really thought that was important. Then we asked a question about if they were um, adjusting their repertoire in any way, and if they said yes, then how. 
And then kind of the meat of the thing was, uh, please provide a brief narrative, 500 words or less, or share a link, for example, a Google Doc, summarizing your 2020-2021 curricular plans or rehearsal models. So that's kind of the meat and potato. That, that's the reason I wanted to create the, the survey. But when we put the committee together, people came up with all these other great questions to ask. And the NFHS people found a way to ask questions so that the data could be sorted and really useful. So that's the uh, that's the North American Band Survey. And it's, it's and, coming and out assume, on Thursday. I assume that that's something that is not a it's a fluid document. You know, it's not like, well, this is what we're going to keep for the next 20 years, but rather something that you probably could see. Okay, so this is the 2020 version, and then we see, you know, are there additions to that in 2021? Now, you have to be careful of that because there's so much, so much information. You can't just, you know, restart everything. But is there a plan to, okay, how do we make this go forward? Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that, Bobby. Um, uh, I hadn't thought, that was Bobby, right? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I just got, I, I panicked for a second. Um, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, we hadn't thought of it beyond this year, but you know, the more that we look at this, this might be useful beyond COVID and who knows, we may be in COVID next year too. And and we right. may need to revisit it. Um, it, it was in, it got enough um, publicity that it caught the, the eye of a New York Times reporter who interviewed James Weaver and, and me uh, about it and wanted to know what kind of trends we were seeing. And, you know, we, we didn't really, talk too much about it because it's 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 2300 people out of an entire country or continent it's it's not a, a huge sample but it's big enough sample that we felt confident saying things like well it looks like band programs are not being cut that much uh, based on the, the kinds of numbers that we're seeing here so it's it was it, there was a lot of positive news there was a lot of good news in there there was a lot of people like struggling too. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to do and I need help and I'm in a small community and there's not a lot of people I can go to and I'm very interested to see the results of this. So it was, um, I think it's going to serve a lot of purposes and uh, I just hope when it comes out on Thursday that it's everything that people want it to be and need it to be and that it's uh, just another one of those things to help the profession. I think one of you said earlier that, you know, when, when COVID hit, there was this big surge of kind of not only creativity, but people helping each other. And, and I think we need to continue that because <laughs> we're not out of this yet and people right. still need a lot of help. So, Oh, I think the band world will be feeling the effects for the next four years uh, of this. You can't go through the year that we just had and then just suddenly go back to what things were just the numbers at the middle school level. Uh, should be indicative that we're, we're not out of the woods with this. But I think what's the good part of that is that I think we have better tools than we had. Probably let's, let's go back two and three years. I know for us personally, our recruiting schemes, and I, I do use that word intentionally there, are better than they've ever been. Our yeah. process of musical learning is better than it's ever been. And so having to rethink, you know, if you look back and I don't mean to overstate this, but I think there is some correlation when you look back over history and see where tragic events have happened, there usually tends to be a renaissance of ideas and creativity coming out of that and a flourishing of stuff. And so I, 
I, I kind of feel like maybe it's maybe it's too early for that yet, but it feels like this project you're talking about, well, both projects, the Creative Repertoire and this North American um, Band, the North American Band Initiative, or Band Survey, excuse me, that that's part of the renaissance that hopefully comes out of this. And the, the thing that we'd like for to keep is this idea of, man, when we all help each other, we all get better. Uh, imagine that. Uh, it's not about winning a marching band trophy. It's about us trying to learn how to teach F concert better right. or how to, how to recruit oboes better. Preach, or Bobby. How to, <laughs> yeah. See, this is the part of the episode where I jump on the, on the soapbox for just a little bit because I love it when, when people are, are saying and, and living, more importantly, the idea of we're all artists and musicians here and kids need to, we're not trying to build the next drum corps kid, nor are we next necessarily trying to build the next professional oboist, but we are trying to build future school board members and future parents of band members and future consumers of music, future um, subscription holders to the Atlanta Symphony. And that's that's done in a lot of different ways. You know, just, just Robert, when you were telling me about your your pathway to band directing, you know, that in itself was very non-traditional. So I, I think that it's great that we're, we're starting to come out of this into a place of where, okay, you know, I've, I've met more band directors in the past six months than I probably have in the last six years. I am so incredibly proud of our profession. I, I'm just so I'm, I'm boastful about the band directing for profession because, man, what a challenge we had. And look, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't like losing sleep in February. Like, what are we even going to have jobs? Right. Is there a future for music? Are children going to play music anymore? I, you know, we were all terrified. Uh, I think any of us who were aware were that, that yes. this, we may not have a pathway forward here. And we are a, an incredibly resilient profession. And if, if you told us two years ago, hey, everybody, in, in March of 2020, you're going to be teaching band online, whoever would have believed that? And, and even those of us who said, how are we going to do it? We just figured it out and we worked with each other. And, and as you said, the, the rising tide lifts all ships. There's, there's nothing about competition in any of this. This is about helping each other. And this is about making a pathway forward for children and young adults to have, continue to have music in their lives. And I'm just so proud of it, man. I, I, you know, I, I think we should all be proud as, as a profession yeah. for what we've pulled off here and what we'll continue to, because we're, we're still in this, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, Robert, thanks so much for spending the evening talking with us about this. If people want to find out more about the North American Band Survey or find out about the Creative uh, Repertoire Initiative, how do they go about doing that? Sure. Let's start with the Creative Repertoire Initiative. By far the best place to to visit is our Facebook group, uh, Creative Repertoire Initiative group. There's a page and a group. The page exists just to exist. Uh, the group is where all the action's happening. So join the Facebook group. If you're not a Facebook user, um, maybe someone can uh, screenshot some things and share that way, number one. The second thing is to uh, visit our website, creativerepertoire.com, where you can learn a little bit more about the initiative and how it started. But more importantly, if you're a composer, uh, there's a whole 
blog page of resources there for you. Uh, visit uh, the windrep.org and check out either the adaptable music section or the creative repertoire initiative section for uh, more information about uh, adaptable music and all the great things that other people are writing. And I just want to make, make clear that, you know, this, this extends to hundreds and hundreds of composers. There were 12 of us who sort of started this initiative, but a lot of people are writing music now for adaptable uh, bands so, and orchestra and everything else. So don't just look for the 11 names that you see on our website. There's, there's hundreds of people writing great stuff. Uh, in terms of the North American Band Survey, when the data is released, it'll be shared on NFHS's website, uh, which I think is nfhs.org, uh, as well as CBDNA, ABA, and NBA's websites. We'll also have links to it in, in all social media, band director groups. Um, it, it won't be hard to find a link to that data, and uh, it, we hope that it'll be really uh, robust search engines so that people can get the information that they need quickly because it's a lot of data, uh, but we want people to not be overwhelmed by it and we want people to be able to use it. Well, and uh, you know, Robert, I thank you so much for taking a, a, a strong lead in, in helping us. You know, I think a lot of people wanted to help, but didn't always know how. And you said earlier, you know, that there, there've been several kind of fits and starts of trying to develop this, uh, you know, database of all the curricular ideas and, and it just wasn't going anywhere. And thank you for taking the lead and saying, okay, I can, I can understand this creatively, but I also can be diligent enough and fastidious enough to make this something that is plausible and something that can, we can use for many, many years to come. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for all that you're doing to make that go. And I'll, I'll put this out there. You can go to Robert J. Ambrose. Dot com. I believe that's correct. Isn't that right, uh, Dr. Ambrose there? Yes, that's Rob, my website. Rob, yeah. RobertJAmbrose.com. You can see some recordings, see some great arrangements that are there too. He won't plug that, but I sure will. And, and I, <laughs> I would tell you, I won't do that for everybody. Yeah. I, I will only do it with, with folks that I believe in. And so if you're if you're looking for some things, even this clinician, man, he's terrific. So thank you, Robert, for being with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. It was my pleasure to speak with you tonight. Thank you, Robert, and to our listeners. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeff Young. And I'm Bobby Lambert. And this is That Band Life.